My name is Devin. I am the pastor that tends to have the shortest sermons. So you might think, ah, oh, okay, I'm on the right Sunday. Uh, but I blame it on the fact that I'm a youth pastor, <clears throat> and students tend to have about an t- attention, uh, attention span of 15 to 20 minutes. So I've just gotten in this rhythm of writing 15 to 20 minutes worth of sermons. So that's my excuse. And another excuse might be that... Uh, I feel like I'm just so young that I don't have the wisdom to impart an hour sermon to you, so um, it's going to be short. But um, as a youth pastor, I try and uh, you know fill up time with activities so students aren't just bogged down with words. And so we're going to start this um, sermon with an activity for you to do. And I'm not going to make you get up and jump around and you know play tag or something. But um, <laughs> what I want you to do, I want you to take this really seriously. Actually, I want us to, if you have a notebook or a pen or something, pull that out. And what I want you to do is, um, when you came in this morning, everyone came in from a different place with different emotions and different things on their hearts. And um, whatever that might be, even if it's anger, frustration, impatience, um, or even joy, um, excitement, um, whatever it is, whatever you're feeling right now, when you walk through those doors, not right now, when you walk through the doors this morning, I want you to write that down. What, where is your heart with God? Where is your heart? I'm just going to give you a minute to do that. you've done that, you can stick the piece of paper in your Bible or just uh, hold your spot in Isaiah 29, um, and we'll come back to it later. But, uh, so I, like I said, I am the youth pastor here. Uh, I've been doing it for almost four years now, and it's a great job. I love it. And uh, one of the best parts of my job is something we call the winter escape. Um, and the winter escape is where we take all of the middle schoolers from our church, and we try and get all of them, and we take them to this retreat. And uh, we give them a bunch of sugar and load them up with cookies and candy and pop. And they bring their own candy, cookies, and pop. And um, there's just something really awesome that happens when you take a bunch of middle schoolers away and have a bunch of fun with them, uh, take them away from their parents and all the rules, and, uh, and just let them go crazy, but with some control, and talk about God together. But um, one of the worst parts of my job actually happens on the winter escape. And I think the, the worst, the hardest part of my job is the, what we call the annual middle school talent show. Anyone ever been to a talent show before? Anyone ever been to that talent show before? All right. There's something really special that happens when you hand a middle schooler a microphone, especially when they're hyped up on sugar, um, and say, you get to do whatever you want in front of everyone. And uh, they take the microphone and they, they give a performance. And sometimes, let me just say, it is really good. Sometimes your middle schoolers are awesome. They have really good talents. Sometimes, on the other hand, it's really hard to sit through. And uh, it is a really hard part of my job. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, but those of you who've been there before, um, when, when no matter who performs and how they perform, what does the audience do for the middle schooler? They clap. They applaud. They give them a, a round of applause, right? Even if it's not deserved, right? Um, but if you were to look into the heart of the person uh, that was listening, sometimes you would kind of notice that their heart wasn't really invested into what was happening in the performance or they didn't actually care. Um, they're pl- applauding because why? Because it's expected from them. Because they're supposed to do it. Because it's the right thing to do. Sometimes we can walk into church and we can treat God the same way. We can uh, sing, we can read our Bible, we can be here. Not because we actually feel in love with God, but because we know we're supposed to be here. We know we're supposed to do it. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So before we dig into the word, let's uh, pray again. 
Heavenly Father, I just thank you for just the chance to be here with these people. I love them so much. I love this church. And I'm so thankful that we get to gather together and worship in a community. Um, I know that all around the world that's not always available. And so I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted, that we would joyfully be together and worship you in that. And I pray that this morning as we read your word and seek to learn from you, may our minds be attentive that we might gain from you. But also, God, may, we, may you cause our hearts to actually be involved in the service as well. We want to love you and worship you authentically. I pray that you'd cause our hearts to do that this morning, and we need you to do that. So I pray that you would draw our hearts to you, not merely with our words and our actions, but may we draw near to you with our hearts, God. We need you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're reading from the book of Isaiah, and I want to give you just a little bit of background on the book of Isaiah. If you were to ask any scholar, any biblical scholar, what is the most important book in developing a theology of the Old Testament into the New Testament, I can almost guarantee that they're going to say Isaiah is the most important book in that. Um, it's it's uh, The importance of it actually can't be overstated. It's actually the most quoted book of the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's used over and over again. And the reason it's so important is because Isaiah points to so um, perfectly the coming Messiah. And not only the coming Messiah, but the need for the coming Messiah. Um, and actually, a lot of scholars actually refer to Isaiah as the fifth gospel because of how often it is referring to Jesus. And so, um, without a doubt, Isaiah is just an amazing book to read. But it's an amazing book to read for us because we actually have the New Testament. We get to read Isaiah, all of these prophecies about Jesus, next to the New Testament, which is all the fulfillment of those prophecies. And we can read it and we can be amazed just how, how like intricate it works um, but as we read Isaiah and we, and we think back, I think it's eight, eight centuries before Jesus came, um, we see just the failure of Israel and the failure of God's people, and we see their need for a rescuer. And when we read that, it's interesting because we can find ourselves in that narrative of Israel. We can find ourselves just as broken, just as, as in need and desperate for a Savior as these people. And so as we read this, I just want you guys to think about that, how we can find ourselves in that same spot. Now, the nation of Israel was given a clear law from God. They were given this, these commandments and these ways to worship him. And, um, and even when they tried to follow them or they did it, um, what Isaiah is pointing out here in this passage is that they would do the right things, but they had no heart behind it. And in the same way, we can say that we, can, we can say that we love God, but never actually have our hearts be in love with God. We can say that we want to be close to him, but not actually ever want a close relationship with our rescuer. So the question I want to tackle this morning, and the question that the prophet Isaiah, I think, talks about here, is what is authentic worship? Now, it seems obvious that the Bible speaks about um, worship of God, not nearly being an outward expression, um, but an inward state of the heart. I mean, why would God want you to go through the motions and just do the right things, but never have anything behind it? Why would he ever want us to do one thing and say one thing but feel another? That, that's not what God asks. And when we think about other religions, uh, we can kind of see that major difference between what God is asking from us. And I just want to take, for example, um, the, the religion of Islam. Let's think for a second. Muslims also believe that the end pursuit of man is to worship God. Okay, Their God is Allah. And, um, but uh, what Allah requires is so much different from what our God requires. Because Allah says, um, you need to pray this way. You need to do it this often, or else I'm not going to listen to you. 
uh, you need to say these words this many times, give this much, give this often, um, make your way to this place called Mecca, fast this much, it's do, do, do. Yet our God, he says, you can follow all of the things in the Bible, you can follow everything in this perfectly, the way that I've asked it. But if you don't feel it in your heart, it means nothing to me. That makes our God a lot different. I think the best example of that in Scripture is actually the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees knew the law. Um, there were these Jews that studied and, and they memorized. They memorized the Scripture and they knew it so well. Um, they spent their lives dedicated to, to it. And if you were to ask any Jew in that time frame, they'd probably say that they were the most religious people. Um, but what Jesus kind of portrays is that they felt nothing in their heart. There was actually a point in Jesus' ministry, um, which you can find in Matthew chapter 15, where the Pharisees and scribes, they came up to Jesus, and they were constantly doing this. They were coming up to Jesus and trying to point out his flaws or what he was doing wrong, because the Pharisees knew everything. They knew the whole Bible. And so there's a point in Matthew 15 where they come up to Jesus and they said, Jesus, you're doing this wrong. This is the way that religion is supposed to work. This is tradition. You're breaking everything. And actually, Jesus quotes this passage from Isaiah to them. And he says this. He said, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, teaching as doctrines and commandments taught by men. You see, when Isaiah wrote this all that time ago, the nation of Israel missed it. They missed the point of what the law was about. And then when Jesus said it to the Pharisees, they missed it too. And my urge for us this morning is that we won't miss the point of the gospel. The gospel is not a message of doing. It's a message of what has been done for you. And if you're going through the motions, if you're, if you're doing, if, if you have no heart behind it, what I want to say is that God wants something different from you. He doesn't just want your submission. He wants your heart. Now, I keep saying that. I keep saying God wants your heart. God wants your heart. But what does that actually mean? How do we bring our hearts to God? How do we genuinely worship? And I would say that worship in itself is an affair of the heart. And the heart has feelings and emotions. And so what I would say is where there is no heart, there is no worship. Where feelings and emotions are absent, worship is absent too. And now that's a tricky thing to say in church because we never want to be a church that tricks people's emotions because if you ever ask, ask a teenager what are emotions like, right? They're like this. And, and we always want to say that teenagers have emotions like this, but we all have emotions that go like this, right? It's up and down. We can't trust our feelings. But that's not the kind of feelings that I'm talking about. We can even think about when you walk into church, you can think, you know, sometimes there's churches that try and trick your emotions and your feelings. You know, we dim the lights, we turn the fans on, we turn up the air conditioning, and we play music with words, and kind of like we did this morning, you know, we're trying to trick you into feeling some, something about God. But that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not what we're tricking you into. It's the way you feel when you walk in those doors. That's what God cares about. It's bringing your heart to God. Not putting a smile on your face and, and trying to pretend that everything's okay when you walk into church, but having your heart show up, not just your body. Now, I want to ask the question, what kind of emotions and feelings make worship genuine? What is God talking about here when, he, when Isaiah was saying that? And I would say the answer to that is the ones you authentically feel. Worshiping God with our hearts simply means being real in front of God in reverent worship. And if you don't believe me, I just want you to read the book of Psalms. 
If you read the book of Psalms, it is the most bipolar book I have ever read in my entire life. I mean, you'll read one psalm, you'll read one chapter, and it'll say, God, my great God, why am I so downcast? I'm so sad and depressed. And then you'll go to the very next chapter, and it'll say, I shout to God with great joy. I love him so much. He's awesome, and I love my life, and he's my great shepherd. And, like, it's just, it's constantly changing, much like our lives and our emotions. And what I think is really awesome with what David portrays in that is that God cares about your roller coaster of a life. God cares about even David in his desperation his empty heart, God cared about that. And so when we come to God, it's awesome to know that he wants to know everything about you. He wants to know what you wrote on those cards when you walked in. Where is your heart? No matter where it is, he doesn't want you to be perfect or put on a face. He wants to know you. There's actually a passage in scripture that says God collects your teardrops when you cry. He cares so much about you that he, he cares about you, you individually. And he doesn't just care about you as a person. He cares about the depths of your heart. Some of the best worship comes out of brokenness. If you read Psalm fifty-one seventeen, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So even if you feel broken, that is worship. You can bring that to God. Um, another, another example would be worship can come out of grief. Psalm one nineteen twenty eight says, My soul is weary in, with sorrow. Strengthen me, God. Worship can come out of pain. It can come out of longing. It can come out of desire, anticipation, awe, joy, uh, gratitude, hope, uh, uh, yearning, inadequacy. It can come out of all of those things. When we bring those things into worship, that's what makes it genuine to God. It's not the action. It's the heart. Now, I can count years of my life, and I'm 25, okay, and I can count years of my life where I have gone through the motions, and um, I went to Moody, and I read my Bible, and I did all the right things, but I, I can imagine Jesus coming down and saying to me, Devin, you're saying the right things with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. And I think we as pastors, we can, we can be the best fakers, because we're supposed to say the right thing all the time, but God doesn't want that. He wants our heart to pour that out. And so I'm going to ask you, you can hold me accountable. I don't want to just speak the word of God. I want to feel that in my heart, and I want the same for you this morning. And that's my intention this morning. I want us to worship God, not just being here together, being in this room and doing the right things, but having our hearts come to God with wherever we're at in our lives. Now, I was talking to Paul about this sermon a couple days ago, and he asked me a really great question. He said, what would you say to the person that feels like they have nothing to offer God? They feel like their heart is empty. They uh, feel like they can't do anything. They feel like they are just going through the motions. And I really like that question. I think that's the best question because I think that right there is the best place to come to God with. Because the gospel is not about giving. The gospel is not about giving something. Worship is not about giving something back to God. It's all about needing something from God. That's the center of the gospel. We need him. He has to give to us. So if you're in that spot this morning, if you're in a place where you feel like, my heart is empty, I feel like I can't give anything to God, well, worship is not about giving back. It's about receiving God's love. And, um, and worship is not fake it till you make it. You know, have you ever heard that before? Fake it till you make it. Just come and do the right things. That's not what worship is. Worship is being genuine. It's coming here and saying, I, maybe I'm doubting. That is what you need to be honest with God about. Don't, don't fake it and be like, oh, I have everything together. I'm doing the right things. Because that's what the Pharisees do. God wants your heart where it is. We give God the most glory when we worship him with our hearts, not our hands and our lips. 
Jesus doesn't say to the Pharisees, well, at least you memorized your Bible, at least you came to church, and at least you did the right things. No, he says, I never knew you. You said the right things, but your hearts were far from me. Bringing our hearts to God is everything. So let's look at this passage again. Um, In verse 14, if you lost your page, it's page 590. I initially chose this passage because we're going through the book of Corinthians. And in that book, it keeps talking about this worldly wisdom in comparison to God's wisdom and how worldly wisdom will always fall, the wisdom of man. And... um, but I focus on more in verse 13 because it was what was in my heart at the time. But if you keep going, verse 13, it says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, and with wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of the wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Now, chapter 29 is uh, really interesting because it's um, Isaiah's talking about these leaders in, in Israel. And he actually, in, if, if you look at verse 1, it says, Ah, Ariel, Ariel, which means Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And there's more behind that if you, if you look into the words. But saying, The city where David encamped, add year to year, let the feasts run their round. And so he's saying, he's talking, he's almost mocking Israel. He's saying, you guys who worship, and, and you were the city of David, this great city that worshipped him. Um, he's saying, you guys worshipped me, and then he continues, and he says, yet I will distress Jerusalem, and there shall be moaning and lamentation, and she shall be like, to me, like an Ariel, which means um, like a disappointment, or it's a, a lacking, and what I think is really interesting is it's saying, even Israel, who worshipped God, and did all the right things, it's like this ritualistic feast, and, and you've done everything you're supposed to, I will distress you, and we find out why, and it's because they did all the right things, but they had no heart behind it. But what I love about this chapter is that Isaiah is not a hopeless prophet. He puts the most hope in it right here in verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people. Now, I love the way that the ESV Study Bible puts the notes underneath verse 14. If you have that Bible, it says, God will not be set aside. It doesn't matter that Israel failed. It doesn't matter that the Pharisees missed it. It doesn't matter that our hearts are broken. That's where Mike is. I did that last service too. God will not be set aside. He will still work in our failures, in our brokenness, in our desperate need for him. He still works in that. So even amidst the failure, us, Israel, Pharisees, he will do wonderful things. And you know what that wonderful thing that Isaiah was talking about? It was Jesus. They looked forward to that, and we get to look back to that. He is our only hope. And uh, Mary Kay talked about this morning about these girls that um, longed for what was going to happen next in the play. You know, Mackenzie, she, she saw in the beginning this happened, and she was like, what's next? What's next? She had this desperation in her heart to find out what was God going to do. And she spent the whole day talking to a bunch of different people, saying, what happens next in the story? She talked to Jason first, and, and um, he said, Have you, do you know anything about the Bible? And she's like, no. And he told her... Like, people are just telling her the gospel. And Isaiah does the same thing. He leaves us with this cliffhanger saying, there is hope for you. And wherever your heart is at, I want you to know there is always hope for your heart. And that hope is found in Jesus. So what does that mean for us practically, I want to ask? When we leave here this morning and we walk out those doors that we walked into, life's going to keep going. 
and some of you guys have kids that you have to go home and think about feeding and cooking meals, and some of you have to go back to school shopping, unfortunately, and other people, um, you know, are just in a place where they might have to go back to work. There's just so many different things that we're going to walk into, and I would say that the application here, what we should do is not go out those doors and be done with worship. You know, people can walk out the door and be like, well, I did my duty, I said my prayers, I sang my songs, I felt something good about God, and now I'm going to go do my daily life. That would have missed the point of this sermon. The point is, is that God wants you to walk out those doors, and he wants you to keep worshiping him, not with your actions, but with your heart. Authentic worship goes beyond our actions. It's bringing our hearts to God in every situation, even if it's a hard one. It's walking out those doors and continuing to set your minds on him, but also your hearts on him. So don't just praise him with your lips and your mouth. Go out and honor him with your hearts. So let's pray again and ask God for him to do that for us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much uh, just for the word uh, that comes out of Isaiah. Um, This just resonates with me so much. I can uh, just do the actions and not really have anything behind it. And God, that's not who I want to be. I just pray that you would change my heart and that you would really draw me towards you, not just because I'm supposed to, but because I want you. I desperately need you, God. And each person in this room, we need you. Um, And what it means to worship is for you to draw our hearts towards you. And so I pray that we would be a church that doesn't just do the right things or do what is asked of us in the word, but that we'd feel it, that we'd have emotion behind it, that we'd really care about what you have for us and that we would actively seek out our rescuer with our whole heart, God. And you say that you will come to us if we seek you. So I pray that we would seek you with genuine worship. And I pray that as we continue to sing this morning, that our hearts would be filled, that we would worship you with genuine hearts that long for you. Um, God, I just thank you for this morning.